0: Amen. Slowly but sh- Well, this is my second week back uh, preaching, and I, I think that st- slowly and steadily my voice is improving. I don't know if y'all agree. I actually sang a few frog notes there along with cat. You know you go to a country church when you look up and you see a pig in mud. Today, we're going to talk about dealing with the mud and the vomit. We're going to talk about repentance and renewal. What I'm talking about is we as believers, you're going to see, even though we come to the Lord and all of our sins are paid for and we are justified before the Father, we still have this thing in us, which is this human DNA that gives us a propensity to sin. All right, And we're going to talk today about what we do with that. Baptists are not real good on talking about how to deal with sin. It's sort of like if I don't talk about it and we don't think about it, it'll just sort of go away. Well, it doesn't go away. And so it's just a really, really sweet message that Peter gives us here uh, about false teachers. If you'll remember, we talked last week, and this is not working, this clicker, just to let somebody know. Yeah, it's okay. If it's not a crisis, if it doesn't work, it's all right. Hold on. It, you know what? I, it was off, and I, and I. Anyway, I'm getting used to technology. Sorry, I turned it off. It was already on. So that's part of yeah, how we go into the mud. If you have your Bibles, open them to Second Peter two fifteen through twenty two. Last week we had fifteen, and we ended with that. But we're going to continue there. And look along with me as I read. For they, and he's talking about false teachers, have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his inequity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. Some of y'all may know that story about the donkey that talked, Okay. Seventeen. These are wells without water. Again, talking about false teachers. They're wells. You send the bucket down there. There's no water. They are clouds carried by a tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak, great swelling words of emptiness. I think that's so funny. Great swelling words of nothing. Okay. They allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error while they promise liberty. They themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also is he brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they again are entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has has happened to them according to the true proverb, and here's why we have a pig on the front. A dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. I would not put a picture of a dog eating a vomit. Thank you for that. Pig a, a pig is a good, and it's a happy-looking pig. That pig there is happy in its sin. We can all tell, tell by looking at it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, how you use such descriptive terms that are so precise as to our conduct and, and what we do, Lord, and how we fall. And yet, Lord, how you pick us up again and again, and you wash us clean. So, Lord, speak to me today. Speak to this word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we talked about false prophets, and if you weren't here, and I know a couple of y'all weren't, because you're visiting today, there were six characteristics about false teachers and false prophets. Number one, they're always going to be around. Number two, they distort the truth. They often have a lot of truth mixed in with what they say, but they distort that truth. All right? They deny the deity of Christ. You know, if you look at them over and over again, who do you say that Jesus is? They'll dodge the bullet. They'll use, as I said last week, the vocabulary that we use, but they use a different dictionary, okay? They teach a broadened way that calls for no righteousness in living, and this is what Peter's talking about here today is those who just preach a certain way that, that enticed people to get back. Into a sinful life, they cover their motives. Usually, their motives are about power, they're about money, they're about maybe sexual pleasure. They get control over people, and uh, and end up despising authority. If anyone were to come to them, they would not listen. You know, I'm glad that I have a congregation with folks in here who know the word, love the word, and would come to me privately. I would hope, not not rebuke me here in front of everybody. But privately come to me and say, Pastor, I just don't think that what you're teaching here is right. And, and I appreciate that. I appreciate a congregation that loves the Lord and loves his word. Peter in Second Peter tells us that false teachers lead us in a direction that's opposite from the abundant life that we were all meant to live. Remember John 10.10? He says, the thief has come to what? Til- to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Listener, God intends for you and I to live an abundant life. And I want to say this, once you are saved, as you know my position on this doctrine and our Baptist position, in our confession of faith, when you're saved and you're secure in the Lord, there is nothing that can snatch you out of his hand. And my contention this morning is is if the deceiver can't have your soul, he wants to steal your joy. He wants to make you miserable. I had One of our own called me last night assured me that person was going to be here today dealing with precisely what's going on in this passage today. And I am firmly convinced whether it was his flesh or influences on him influenced him not to come today to not hear what's being said because this person doesn't know how to deal with the sin that comes into their life. The default that we have is our flesh, okay? Sometimes it's called... uh, different things. When I grew up, I called it, uh, the pastor called it the old sin nature. I don't really use that term anymore. It's that makes it sound like there's some kind of weird being that's possessed us and come into us. The fact of the matter is you're just, your DNA is you're a human. And, and so your default is going to be darkness, but for the light of Christ that's living within you. So as you encounter things, you're either going to react in the flesh or you're going to respond through the Holy Spirit that lives in you and empowers you to live out the abundant life that you were intended to live. So, if you're saved by the blood of Jesus, the only way He can steal your joy is to persuade you from walking in unrighteousness. What I'm saying is He tempts you to walk in the flesh, okay, instead of walking in the Spirit, as we've talked about for these last few months. Notice that I'm not saying... That and and what it means also in 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 working out our salvation means this walking in the spirit. That's why we're living out experientially. It's confusing when you read "working out." It sounds like you're working for, but it doesn't say you're working for your salvation. You're working it out as we learn the other. Night on a Wednesday night through epigenosis. Epigenosis means experiential knowledge. You knew these things, these truths that you saw in God's Word, but when you begin to live them out, you have this epigenosis that Paul, that Peter talked about, and that epigenosis is what gives us grace and peace that abounds, according to Peter. So, um, as I said, I'm not saying working for our salvation, but we're working it out. So a few important points before we get into the actual text. We do not live righteously out of fear of losing our salvation. Tim, you were raised that way. You lived righteously through a checklist, you told me, because you were afraid that you would lose your salvation. When we first met, he said, do you believe in backsliding? I said, what do you mean by that? Tell me what your dictionary says. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. You cannot lose your salvation once you come to the Lord, even when you are walking in unrighteousness. Rather, we are walking in obedience out of deep respect for God and the commandments that He says to us that we're to walk in newness of life. Amen? I want to say this, nothing will make you feel more defeated more quickly than returning to a sinful life once you've known the Lord. You come to know the Lord, you're walking in righteousness, you slip, then you're back to in your flesh and you, you hate yourself. Satan beats up on you with this. You're you hear in your mind, your mind telling you you're not a Christian. You could have never acted like that, okay? That's part of the, the negative of what happens. And Peter likens this, then when we slip back into flesh patterns to a dog returning to his vomit or a pig returning to a mud hole. I don't want to comment about dogs returning to vomit, but it's always been shocking to me when my dog's sick and my dog does that. It's just kind of a strange thing. And yet God put it in his word to show us precisely, cat, even though we don't have a picture, what, is all, what that looks like. Salvation paid for our sins, guys, once and for all. That's justification, that's what I've called positional righteousness, and we're going to talk about the other kind of righteousness, but to live righteously, we must submit to the power of the Holy Spirit that gives us victory over sin. So, you have this positional righteousness, but we're going to see in the book of James in 5.16 that, that, Paul, that, that James, the brother of Jesus, distinguishes between that and, and people that live righteously. Coming to Christ does not make you free from sin. It pays for your sin, but it makes you, it gives you power over sin and the, and the penalty of sin. Okay. Not, I'm sorry. I said that wrong. It makes you free from the power of sin and the penalty of sin. When we fall back, Tim, when we backslide, wow, that went away. When we backslide, it is like a dog, as he says, returning to its vomit or a clean pig returning back to a mud hole. So if we look at it, Number 15. Let's look at verse 15. They have forsaken the way, the right way, and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. If you don't remember the story, this is over in Numbers. I believe it's in Numbers 22. And this is where Balaam, who truly was a prophet of the Lord, because the Lord would speak through him, was a wicked prophet. He he was contracted by a guy named Balak, who was the king of Moab, if I remember correctly. And and Balak knew that he was a prophet of Yahweh. And he said, I want you to go curse Israel for me and I'll pay you money. So the struggle that Balaam had, he was trying to figure out how he could still do God's work, but make the money that he was going to make off of Balak. And Peter is saying that false teachers are just like that. They've compromised their message just for gain of some kind. That's what it means in terms of Balaam's way. Uh, And what ended up happening in the story, which I thought was fascinating, is that Balaam ended up corrupting Israel through bringing in prostitutes and things, not really outright cursing them, but he ended up uh, downing God's people through the back door, so to speak. It's mentioned in Jude 1.11. It cites Balaam's wrongdoing and also in Jude 1.4, and it calls them this in Jude 1.4. Listen, those who pervert the grace of God as a license to do immoral things. That is the way of Balaam. People who come along and preach a grace message without any responsibility about obedience to the Lord, Okay. It, it, because it ends up, as, as Jude says, perverting the grace of God as a license to do immoral things. I say this, false teachers who pervert the grace of God try to turn liberty into Christ, into freedom, to live a promiscuous and an unholy and an unrighteous life. That doesn't go together, okay? We're to live a righteous life, that is not full of promiscuity and, and not used as Paul says. He says grace is not a license to sin, okay? Going on into 16, but he was rebuked for his iniquity and a dumb donkey spoke with a man's voice and restrained the madness of the prophet. While Balaam's walking along, he's got this donkey and the donkey sees the angel of the Lord there in the way. So the donkey comes up and stops and moves over, and Balaam's beating on the donkey, and then the donkey moves back over, trying to dodge the angel of the Lord who's there with the sword. Balaam's so blind, he's more of an ass than his ass is, all right? And he, I I thought about that about 24 hours before I said it. so I want you all to know that. It's, It's in the Bible, I can say it, and I use the King James often. So, but anyway, it's just a really funny story. I just love these kind of stories that God puts in there. And finally, the donkey says, would you stop hitting me? The angel of the Lord's up here and I'm trying to save our life. Anyway, it's, it's great. It's in numbers 22. If you want to look it up, maybe this afternoon, I like it because it shows us that God can speak through whatever he wants to and however he wants to. And note that Balaam was not a false prophet. He was called by God to prophesy and to prophesy correctly, but he was a wicked prophet. Isn't that interesting? And I think that many of these evangelists that end up turning in their lives, I think that they were called of God in the beginning. Don't you? You, you know, they'll. I talk. I don't want to name names, but I talked about a couple. And I, I told Sandy yesterday, I said, I think they sincerely love the Lord and intended to serve the Lord. But you know what? They went the way of Balaam. That's what they ended up doing. Let's go on then to verse 17. These false teachers are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. I know the text doesn't say that they're clouds without water, but this last July and August, I saw clouds come over and they didn't have any water, and they were very, very disappointing. So I might just expand the text a little bit there. But they are like water wells that you go down and you're so hopeful and you're going to draw up water and there's nothing there. And the reason why is they make great promises. They make promises that the Word of God doesn't make, okay? For example, we know that God heals, but God doesn't heal based on us commanding Him to do so. And faith healers are often flim-flam artists. Recently one of you in the congregation told me you need to watch Leap of Faith with Steve Martin. Any of y'all ever watched that? It's kind of funny. It's a a movie that I watched and uh, and Steve Martin is this quote faith healer that goes from town to town praying on people. And he has a big show and he people are plants out in the audience and they say that they've got a problem with their back and uh, I mean it's just all a setup a big show. And he ends up meeting this little boy there, who's who's really crippled, and and the boy comes to him and says, you know, Pastor, would you would you pray for me that I would be healed? And and the the guy, I think his name is Nightingale, and yeah, Jonas Nightingale in the in the movie, he kind of hems and hauls, Hey, I'll talk to you later. Anyway, what happens in the movie, not to belabor it, is is we see this flim-flam artist bilking these people out of all their money in some poor town in Kansas or Oklahoma where it hadn't rained for who knows how long, eight years, and they've been praying for rain, and they would say to him, Pastor, pray for rain, and he would just change the subject. Oh, we got a healing back here. And anyway, in the movie, what happens finally, the boy comes up at one of the services to be healed and says, Pastor, pray for me. And he won't pray for him. And then the boy is healed right there. And it so shakes up the faith healer that he quits the ministry, runs off in the night, gets on a uh, hitchhikes out of town with a trucker. And as he's leaving, it starts pouring down rain. And he's so shaken by seeing the true power of God that was always there. And where God healed the little boy. It's just great. But anyway, false teachers like this guy, Jonas Nightingale, are clouds in a storm that hold no water. And Peter says they will end up in eternal darkness. Verse 18 and 19. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also is he brought to bondage. What that's saying is that these teachers, they preach a wide way. They twist the words of Scripture, preaching a liberty that Scripture really does not teach. Go beyond the teaching that we are free in Christ. They go beyond that to hinting that we are free to do whatever we want to do because we're covered in grace. And I told you all about a guy in our men's Bible study, and he, he, he quoted that pretty much to us. Hey, I can do whatever I want. I'm walking in grace, you know. To live a life that is pleasing to the Father, we are not free to do whatever we want to do. That is a life in the pit of hell. In fact, we are free to obey Him, and we are empowered to obey Him through the Holy Spirit that lives within us. I just want to say that. Peter is saying that these teachers, knowingly or unknowingly, they may not even know sometimes what they're doing, create a temptation in some who have been delivered of the enslavement of sin to fall back into that sin. And as I said last Sunday, this wide way is characteristic of so many false teachers. Now, I'm not saying we need to live legalistically. Don't misinterpret me, Tim. You walk in faith, okay? You walk in grace, You walk in the Spirit, okay? And when you're doing those things, you're going to be living a righteous life. And that's your identity. That's who you're intended to be and what you're intended to be doing. Verse 20 through 21. For if after they have escaped, this is an odd thing, the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning, For it would have been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. I thought that was strange. It says like it'd be almost better off that they had never been saved. It seems like it says that. I think what it's really saying is that these that turn away and end up going back into the pig hole, let's keep it clean instead of talking about vomit that there's nothing more miserable than a believer who is walking outside of the will of God. It is a miserable place to be. I have been there where I've walked outside of what God intended, and I can guarantee you it's almost better to have never known any of the truth than to live that kind of dual life where you know you're being a fake and you know you're being a fraud. When a believer falls back into sin, that's when Satan accuses and says, you're a phony. What are you do? Who do you think you are? What? You're going to go to church. You've got to be kidding. And that has been the problem so much in Baptist churches where folks get saved and they're told kind of without words that then they're not going to sin anymore. And then when they do say, so, and maybe this is my perception and it's wrong, but I think it's a, a true perception. Then when they do sin, they become so disappointed in themselves that they think, well, maybe I was never saved to begin with. I don't need to go to church, and they fall away. Do y'all know what I'm saying? We've all seen people do that. Backslidden, Tim, doesn't mean you you lose your salvation. It means you've slid back, okay, into sin, and you're being controlled by the flesh. I'm pointing that at Tim because he mistakenly believed that backslidden meant that you've lost your salvation when we first were talking, okay? They've, they have not lost their salvation, but what they've lost is the deliverance from the bondage of sin that's available to each and every one of us. When you fall back into sin and flesh patterns, what happens is you're giving up the abundant life that's promised for you and me. I mean, that's the cost of it. You end up not being in the will of God, which is to have life and have it abundantly. Then last but not least, he says, but it has happened to them according to the true proverb, A dog returns to his vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. All right? I want to say this that we all have struggles to do the right thing. Because we're humans, we have this tendency, as I said, to fall back into our flesh. Paul refers to this struggle in Romans chapter 7 when he says, Why am I doing things that I don't want to do, and I'm not doing the things that I know I ought to be doing? Well, guys, it's called the flesh. It's that DNA that I've talked about, that propensity, that's a legal word which we use that means tendency. Lawyers use that a lot, a propensity to run off or to escape. We have a propensity to sin. And it boils down to this. When you were saved, you were declared righteous and justified and right before God, all right? The blood of Jesus was payment for your sins and mine. And I'm reading this because I don't want anyone to say, well, you said... Your sins, past, present, and future, were paid for at the cross, yet as a human, you still have within you this propensity, this tendency to sin. That is how and why believers can be led away by false teachers and they end up going back, as it said, the dog to its own vomit. Being declared righteous and justified before the Father doesn't necessarily mean that you are walking in righteousness. And I'm going to show you. Where scripture says that. Do you remember over in James chapter 5 where it says this? It says, It says that confess your faults one to another. Y'all, you know what I'm talking about? And, and it says, Confess your faults one another that ye may be healed. Does it say, Confess your faults one another that your sins will be forgiven or that your sins will be removed? That happened at the cross. But James is talking about believers who have faults and sins like you and me. And then he says something very interesting. He says, the effectual, fervent prayer of a what? Righteous person availeth much. Is that righteous person there talking about all Christians? I thought they were all righteous. It's not positional righteousness. James is saying people that are walking by the Spirit, that are living their lives out being led by the Holy Spirit that are in grace living or living righteously. Those are the kinds of people you want praying for you. All right. That's what he's saying. Uh, Let me see here. So. uh, Let's see here. I'm sorry. Yeah. So um, there it is. I'm sorry. I didn't realize I had this on a slide. So the entirety of Scripture is very clear that you are made free from the penalty of sin. You're never going to be punished for your sins, okay? But you're not free from sin, meaning sinless. We were on our way one night when we were at First Baptist with a kid on the bus. I'll never forget it. All night, driving to wherever we were going to go skiing, he tried to convince me that a believer can live a sinless life. And it was just one of the most frustrating things conversations I ever had with anybody. He was a leader in the youth group. Can you imagine telling kids that, oh, if you're really, really committed to the Lord, you're not going to sin anymore? Well, that's a good way to lose the whole youth group, isn't it? By the time you get to Colorado. And it was just a, a very frustrating conversation. I think, I think he ended up wandering away from the Lord. You know why? Because he had set up a standard that the Bible doesn't teach, that he had to live, Tim, a sinless life and the Bible never said that. The Bible told him how to deal with that. Some churches emphasize grace so much it becomes a license to live a disobedient life, and that's called hyper-grace teaching, okay? Just so you'll know it when you see it. That kind of teaching denies what I call the whole counsel of God, the whole counsel of God. We are told in the book of James, as I said, we are to confess sins to one another so that we might be healed, Confessing, as I said, those sins doesn't pay for them, but it heals us. How much more does it heal you when you confess your sins to a loving Father who loves you? And that's what confession is all about. That's what confession is. When we go the wrong way, it is that we get back going the right way, all right? Uh, In Psalm 66, 18, it says, well, no, let's just go to 1 Peter 3.12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those that do evil. So, when we're living in holiness, and when we're living righteously, meaning walking in the Spirit and living true grace living, doing the things that we ought to do, we have God's ear. Now, you might be going, well, wait a minute. Am I doing something wrong? I'm praying, and God's not answering me. No, He is answering you. He's just telling you telling you an answer that you don't want to hear okay so you can live righteously it doesn't mean that if I'm righteous enough God's going to heal my granddaughter it means that when I'm living in the way that I should be living he has an ear that's tuned to me and I'm going to find myself praying a whole lot to him and as you say Larry one of the great benefits and probably purposes of prayer is so that we're in constant communication with him all right so the healing, I want to get down to this part. The healing is what we experience when we, as believers, confess our sins to the Lord. And I know some don't agree with me on this, but in First John 1, 9, I think it addresses this. God never leaves us, but we do make decisions in the flesh to leave Him. And when we do, we need to confess it. We need to repent of it. And we're going to talk about what repentance means And we're going to restore our, and that restores us to sweet fellowship with him. He never broke fellowship with us, but we will break it with God. I've done it. Okay. And I've had to come to him and say, Lord, this is what I've done. And I admit to you and I agree with you that this is sin. And the word tells us that he cleanses us and keeps on cleansing us from all unrighteousness. It's all paid for, but it it helps me to reboot and get back where he wants me to be and not in a position where the accuser can make hay of me. Amen? So, theologians say this, we are positionally righteous, but we're practically sinful. That means that we kind of practice sin sometimes, okay? This is all in what I talk about, standing in status, big righteousness, little righteousness, all right? Scripture tells us repeatedly that the Lord doesn't listen to those who cherish sin in their hearts, Psalm 66, 18. What Scripture calls a righteous person is one who is living has a living faith. They're walking in the Spirit. They're seeking to obey the Lord and His Word. Solomon, through the Holy Spirit, tells us, if anyone turns a deaf ear to my instruction, even their prayers are detestable. So confession and repentance from sin are preconditions for having the ear of God. That means if I'm off here living like hell, okay, doing all kinds of things, And I'm not living a life that is congruent with who I really am in Christ, all right? There's going to be a reckoning there. Uh, I don't have God's ear so much unless I have an ear for repentance. What is repentance? I've heard people say repentance is one thing you do in your life. I don't believe that. Repentance means to, again, be sorry for something. And I want to make clear that just being sorry for your sins is not repentance, not in the Greek sense, okay? Judas was sorry that he had betrayed Jesus, wasn't he? So what did he do? Did he repent? No, he went and hung himself. Okay, Peter, (laughs) Peter sinned and he repented. And, And what happened? He was restored to Jesus. That's right. A successful prayer life walks hand in hand with believers who passionately desire to see God's will worked out in their daily lives. So what do we do with the vomit? What do we do? When we end up here, there. And this is the part that I wish that a couple of people were here today to hear this. Sin plagues each of us. Don't condemn yourself because God doesn't condemn you. When I fail, the Lord doesn't condemn me. He takes it, Margarita, he cleans me up, he wipes me off, and he just says, Go and sin no more. Just like Jesus said to the lady, right? And we do, we go and we do it again or something. But it's that repentant heart that comes to the Lord, understanding that there's a call for a change. This is kind of a a prayer. You don't have to memorize this, but this is something, see, God doesn't condemn you, but realize it, realize the wrong that's happened. You confess it. And more importantly of all, is turn from it. This is kind of a little prayer I put together. God, I have this problem where I keep doing this thing that I know is wrong. It's not of you. Lord, forgive me because it's sin. And Lord, I agree with your word and with what the Holy Spirit is telling me. There's even people out there that say the Holy Spirit doesn't convict us. Well, the Holy Spirit tells me a lot of stuff. I call that conviction. Father, thank you that this was paid for at the cross. And Lord, thank you for cleansing me and continuing to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That is, that's just repentance. A couple little words here. Repentance in English comes from Latin. Y'all know I love words. It's re. Ventire, which means to regret again. Naham in Hebrew is to be sorry, to pity, to rue. And I think this is interesting. The word for repent in Hebrew also is comfort. And I know when I repent and I say, Lord, I, I'm out of line here. I've treated Sandy in a wrong way. I know there's great comfort in that because I sense God's forgiveness and I know his forgiveness because of his word and it brings me comfort. So there's comfort in repentance. And last but not least, in Greek, which the Lord chose to have these words written in, it's metanoeo, and that means to repent, to reconsider, and it's a three-step process. It's having a new knowledge or you've suddenly realized something, and I'll give an example in a minute. It's regretting your previous course or having displeasure with self, and three, a change of action. All right. And I thought of this. If I want to go to College Station and I'm in my car and I'm in a, in the zone, you know, where I don't know what I'm doing. And I look up and I see the sign that says I'm in Hempstead. Okay. Here's a little example of repentance. You go, wow, I'm in Hempstead. I guess I'll just keep on going. Repentance is getting that word. It's, wow, I'm in Hempstead. I, never, I better turn around and go in the other direction. Okay. that's the way repentance is. We get this, and it might be my wife saying, you're going the wrong way. Uh, and, uh, we did that one time, 180 miles in Arkansas. Remember we went the wrong way and discovered we were going back to Branson and didn't realize it. So it's what happens when one of you sleeping and the other's driving. (laughs) Have you done that too? Y'all are laughing anyway. So it's a change of action. Feeling of regret is not repentance. When we repent, We're turning back from the wrongdoing, okay? We're turning away from sin, and we're changing our actions to obey his will. Do y'all follow what I'm saying? So when you're doing this, when you're back in the mud, I said, look at that. You can keep on being a clean little piggy. That's the word today. It's the big idea. It makes me happy. Look at that sweet little pig. It's a little piggy. Yeah, there's a little piggy, a little pink piggy. So when we end up with mud all over us and we find out we're out there eating what we ate before and it wasn't that good the first time. I'm just going to say that instead of the V word. You know, we have this perfect thing that the Lord gives us. He says, if you confess your sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive your sins. And I cleanse you again and again and again. It's an infinitive there of all unrighteousness. It never stops. God's grace, it goes on and on and on and on. We cannot out the grace of God. We cannot out the grace of God. And I give glory to him and praise for that. Amen? So, you can be that clean little piggy, and yeah, you're, it'll make you happy, and yes, you'll crawl back in the mud, but you can go through this process again and again. <clears throat> Even more than that, with humans, seven times 70, with God, it's uncountable. More times than we can count. Uh, I'm going to ask Jimmy Brinkley if you'll close us in prayer.